Hello and welcome back to Classic Vinyl Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Justin, and I am here beside my longtime other host, Tyler. Been such a long time. Almost a year now. Yeah, we've been well we we've been co-hosting for like millennia. Close to it. Something yeah. like that. So what are you thinking about today's album? Uh you know what? This album kind of struck me a little out of the left field. I wasn't sure what to think about it going in. Going out, I struggled to come to a conclusion, but I think I've come to a conclusion. Well, I hope you stick to that and don't give in to peer pressure like you normally do. I usually do. So, of course, we're going to do Paul McCartney and Wings and their studio album Band on the Run. This is for the 50th anniversary of this album, which came out on December 5th of 1973. Happy 50th anniversary, Paul. Why don't we give a little history on Paul McCartney and Wings a little bit as well, which, I mean, let's be honest, Wings is Paul McCartney. Yeah. But Paul McCartney was born in Liverpool, England. On June 18th of 1942, to be exact. Yeah. So that's some background on Paul McCartney. And you know, even though he's a bass player, he did start with the Beatles as a guitar player, but he moved to bass shortly after that because they needed a a bass player. Yeah. Yeah. And he's completely self-taught. And he was in the Beatles. He was in Wings, the band we're going to do tonight, which is Paul McCartney, from 1970 to 1981. And he's been touring ever since. He's still touring right now. In fact, I think he's playing in Brazil or something right now. That's pretty impressive that the Beatles had a 20-year-long career together before they broke up. Well, 13 years. I'm sorry, 13 years. But let's be honest. I mean, 57 to 70, they really didn't hit it big until about 62, 63 in Mm -hmm. England and then 64 in the U.S. But all in all, you know, he sold 50 million albums as a solo artist and with Wings and about 200 million albums with the Beatles. So not too bad of a career when it comes to album sales. The man's got talent. Yeah, he's a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame member with the Beatles in 1988 and a solo artist in 1999, and he should be in there with Wings, but I'll get to that in a minute. He has written or co-written 32 number one singles in the U.S., 20 with the Beatles, 7 solo or with Wings, and 5 with other artists. In the U.K., he has 24 number one singles, 17 of those with the Beatles, and 7 solo. He's got more awards and honors than we can even have time to name. Mm-hmm. So getting into a little bit of history of Wings... Now, Wings had seven different lineup changes between 1970 and 1981, but obviously Paul McCartney, his wife Linda McCartney, and Denny Lane remained through all the lineups, and Denny Lane famously is from the Moody Blues. All in all, Paul McCartney and Wings had seven studio albums along with two compilation albums, one live album, and they released 29 singles all in all. All seven studio albums made the top 10 in the U.S. So out of those seven studio albums, of course, all of them made the top 10 in the U.S., including they had four straight number one albums with Red Rose Speedway, Band on the Run, Venus and Mars, and Wings at the Speed of Sound. And they also had uh, their live album, Wings Over America, hit number one in the U.S., and London Town hit number two. So they haven't had too bad of a career out of seven albums, and that's in the Mm -hmm. U.S. Now, in the U.K., six of the seven studio albums were in the top ten. Wildlife hit number 11, but only two albums hit number one. That was Band on the Run and Venus and Mars. Wings at the Speed of Sound, which hit number one in the U.S., hit number two in the U.K. So not too bad. So Wings Across America, or Wings Over America, that didn't... um chart in the uk it did not odd yeah now they did have a greatest hits called wingspan hits in history it did hit number two in the u.s and number five in the uk when it was released in 2001 so not too bad 30 years later 24 singles were in the top 40 in the u.s 15 in the top 10 and six number one singles in the u.s and that's just wings not paul Mm -hmm. mccartney alone not the beatles just wings and you tell me that doesn't qualify them for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and it's why I think the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is a sham. 20 singles in the top 40 in the UK, 13 of them in the top 10, but only one number one in England, Mole of Kintyre. But they did have three number two singles in the UK. That's my big question is why isn't Wings, Paul McCartney and Wings, in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? When you compare some of the other bands that are, it's really ridiculous. Yeah. 
you know, you look at some of the bands that aren't. Let's take, for instance, Bad Company, The Guess Who, Jethro Tull, Foreigner, and there's more than we can even list that deserve mm-hmm. to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And that's why, to me, it just seems, I shouldn't even say a popularity contest. It's just, I don't, they've got their heads so far up their asses, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, what's their standard is what I want to know. I don't know. Is there standard who we like? Is there standard based mm-hmm. on popularity? Because is it based on pure album sales and number one hits? Political correctness. Because if it's based on album sales and number one hits, Wings should be in there, Foreigner should be in there, Bad Company should be in there, Jethro Toll, the Guess Who, all those people I named, and there's a ton more, Iron Maiden, different bands like that, you know, that really deserve to be in there compared to some of the people that are. Mm-hmm. It's probably based off of how feminist-friendly the music is by the band. It just it doesn't make any sense. There no, doesn't there seem to be any rhyme or reason. There's no sketch outline of what you have to do to hit the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's just like we're going to nominate. There's a nomination committee. and But enough about them. Yeah, what, what, what do they want Paul McCartney to do? I mean, Sir Paul McCartney, you want him to grovel? The guy's a billionaire. I don't... He- <laughs> Well, it seems to me yeah. with Paul McCartney, it's like, okay, we're not going to put wings in there because Paul McCartney's already in there solo. Mm-hmm. Paul McCartney's already in there with the Beatles, but that shouldn't even matter. That shouldn't have any bearing on yeah, What about the wings? other wings? Yeah, exactly. What, what about Penny Lane or Denny Lane, too? His yeah, sister. Penny, Penny Lane, you're a little off. That's a Beatles song written by written and sang by Paul McCartney. But Okay. Well, it's just you know a little funny that his... Um, later partner in his band would be so closely named. Yeah, it is kind of strange, isn't it? All in all, Wings, Paul McCartney and Wings has sold over 24 million albums, which is a pretty good career in itself, not to mention the rest of his solo career and his career with the Beatles. But do you want to get to the album review? Yep, let's review the album. And now it's time for the album review. Okay, so today we're going to do Paul McCartney and Wings their third studio album, Band on the Run. It was released on December 5th, 1973. Now, this was McCartney's fifth album after the Beatles broke up. This album was recorded at EMI Studios in Lagos, Nigeria, and Aaron Kingsway Recorders in London. And they apparently had some problems in Nigeria and all that, and so a lot of the songs were started there and then finished back in London. Did he get an email from the uh, former son of the deposed Nigerian prince? I doubt at that time he did. Maybe yeah. a telegraph. All right. This album was produced by Paul McCartney with Jeff Emmerich as a sound engineer, and Jeff Emmerich famously helped with the Beatles sound engineering. Oh, so he knew him from before. Correct. So drummer Denny Sywell and guitarist Henry McCulloch, they'd actually left the band right before leaving to record. So McCartney on this album plays all the bass, all the drums, most of the lead guitar parts as well, and carries all the vocal duties. I did not know that going into this. His first solo album that he recorded while still with the Beatles, McCartney One, or as is known as McCartney, self-titled, but it's mm-hmm. now known as McCartney One, he played everything on it and recorded it in his home studio, you mm-hmm. know, and kind of the similar thing with this, you know, you've got, you do have Denny Lane there, you do have Paul McCartney's wife, Linda, and that's what I find funny about this when we're going on the rundown through the track by track. Mm-hmm. I'll say this song was written by Paul and Linda McCartney, and I think we've talked about it before. We, I think we full well know that Paul McCartney's 99.9% the composer on this, and a lot of this had to do with... He's just generous. It's the way the royalties <laughs> were paid, right? Yeah. So Wings, at this point in time on their third studio album, is made up of Paul McCartney, of course, on vocals, bass, acoustic and electric guitars, piano, keyboards, drums, and other percussion. He learned some valuable lessons in uh, playing with tracks from the Beatles, huh? He certainly did. And, of course, Linda McCartney, his wife, she sings backing vocals, organ, keyboards, percussion. And then Denny Lane, who is famously from the Moody Blues, he does a lot of backing vocals. He does lead vocals on one song. He plays acoustic and electric guitars and a little bit of percussion on this album. Now, Band on the Run reached number one in the charts in both U.S., UK, even Canada and Australia hit number one across the board. The reissue in 1999 hit number one on the US pop charts, and the 2010 reissue hit number three in the pop charts and number 29 on the Billboard Top 200, which isn't bad, you know, 30 years later. But keep in mind that this band is not inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yes, yeah, kind of strange. Yeah, you hear stats like that. Oh, but they're not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So this album is certified three times platinum in the U.S. by the RIAA with over three million 
in album sales, and that's just in the U.S. The, the album Worldwide has over 6 million in worldwide album sales. Rolling Stone, who we like to compare to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, <laughs> they rank this 481 on their top 500. I think that's quite low, in my opinion. It's way low in their defense. At least they're, at least this album's on the top 500. Yeah, I mean, every album is at one or one time or another. I mean, that's why they come out with a new one every year, right? <laughs> yeah. So the album was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame in 2013. There's been several reissues, which I was talking about before, in 99 for the 25th anniversary, 2010, and multiple vinyl releases over the years, which poor Justin owns quite a few of those. Because he ha- he's a completist. He has to own them. Now, the, the cover picture was taken at Otterley Park in London, and it's showing... Paul and Linda McCartney, Denny Lane, and then there's six famous people. I've got other names, but we mm-hmm. won't go through them. They're all dressed up as convicts, and they're caught in this prison searchlight. It's kind of an interesting album cover. But So you ready to get the album? Spin it. Side one. So side one opens up with the title track, Band on the Run, written by Paul and Linda McCartney. You've got Tony Visconti on the orchestration in this song. This one was released as a single in April of 1974. The single is a little bit different than the album version. The album version is a little over five minutes where the single version, they cut down a little bit to under four minutes. 1985, which ends this album, was actually the B-side of this. Now, the single hit number one in the U.S. and Canada and New Zealand. Only hit number three in the U.K., The single is certified gold in the U.S. with over 1 million sales on the single alone. And this is kind of an interesting song because it's basically broke down into three parts. It was all inspired to Paul McCartney by a quote from George Harrison relating to their problems that the Beatles were having at the time with Alan Klein and their Apple company they had started and things like that. So it's uh, interesting that they've got very clear cuts between which parts are which. Yeah, they could almost be three separate songs in a way. You really could. But I like the way they play off of each other. and It fits together nicely. And for what he's doing with it, it I, I get the feeling in this whole album that Paul McCartney's got a purpose in concept writing or something. And it, I like it. It fits. Yeah, and and according to McCartney, this song is actually about a number of things, you know, inspired by that quote about a band on the run from George Harrison. But he says it's about freedom, it's about criminals, it's about legal trouble involving marijuana, which he was had some issues with there for a while and you know and about a band breaking out of some so-called prison what are your thoughts on the title song band on the run tyler i uh i enjoy this song i get a big kick out of it like i said you know it's pretty clear to find the uh which parts are which of those three parts are pretty distinct and each has their own sound (laughs) i wrote down that this is a real cacophony of instruments i don't even know what the word cacophony means but i wrote it down Cacophony. Yeah, cacophony. Cacophony. No, that, that would that uh, would be if you didn't like the song. Yeah, exactly. It'd be yeah. cacophony. Part one, heavy on the synthesizer and electric guitar. Then they throw a horn in at you, and that's fun. Um, so this uh, Tony Visconti at the orchestration, real genius work. He's got a whole band at his disposal, I feel, and he's putting the whole thing together. It's real nice. Then all of a sudden it shifts gears into part two for the acoustic guitar and drums. Part one is almost exclusively instrumental. What did you think about this song? I've always loved Band on the Run. If if there's anything wrong with it, for me, it's probably just a little bit of overplaying. I mean, it's probably the Paul McCartney song I hear the most on the radio. Mm-hmm. And But I still love the song. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. And you'll hear me say this on every single song. It's got an amazing bass line. Yep. Paul McCartney has got to be up there as one of the best bass players of all time. If you don't think so, listen to this album and then, uh, yeah, make your case with us. Mm-hmm. You can pretty much listen to any of his albums and draw that conclusion. And, you know, you're talking about Tony Visconti on orchestration. I can say one thing, knowing what I know about Paul McCartney and reading the things I've read about him, I don't think anybody made their own decisions on this. Paul McCartney's pretty much an alpha male when it comes to in-studio recording. Tony Visconti did as he was told. (laughs) Exactly. And I mean, a lot of people have put down to partial of why the Beatles may have broke up. I I don't think so, because he was that way the whole time. He is certainly a big reason for a lot of their success and a lot of his success. I mean, you've got to be alpha to a certain extent if you want to push things. And he really did push things. The bass line's amazing in this thing. Really like 
the first section of this song, and I really like the guitar line to start out the second section, and then you go into an acoustic guitar to start out the third section. They all mm. come in pretty quick at the first of the song. Got really good little guitar licks in the last section, and to me, this song has a perfect McCartney vocal on it. Mm. I love the way McCartney can do different vocal styles so easily in and out, almost like there's different singers on the album sometime, you know? Yeah, but there's it, a couple of songs on this album that it I didn't even recognize Paul McCartney. He sounds There was one song where he sounds like John Lennon. Interesting. Yeah. But it's a great way to open the album, an amazing song, uh, just if anything suffers a little bit of overplay. Yeah, I agree with that. Which I think if a song does, that means it's probably a great song. Mm-hmm. Hard to, hard to <laughs> say. Maybe I just listened to too much radio. It could be, but I I don't know how many pennies he's making per play, but he could, uh, let's just say that he's making more than me just off of royalties from this. I wouldn't doubt that. Yeah. So that moves us on to the second song, another pretty popular Paul McCartney song, Jet, once again written by Paul and Linda McCartney. You've got Howie Casey on this, plays the saxophone on this song, which I really like the use of it in this song. I don't like when saxophone's overbearing, but it's used perfectly in this song and other songs. Now, this was the first single released off the album. It was released in January of 1974 with Mamunia, which is also on this album, as the B-side in the U.S., and Let Me Roll It, which is also on this album, in the U.K. as the B-side. On any later release of the single, they decided to put Let Me Roll It as the B-side. Ah, they learned. They learned. Now, the single reached number seven in the U.S. and the U.K., and it did reach number five in Canada. Now, this song, there's multiple things that have been said, including contradictions from Paul McCartney himself on what this song is about. He said it's about a dog he had named Jet, and that's how he came up with the name of the song, and then just... The rest of it is about other things. He's also said it was about a pony. And people give him a lot of shit about that. But, you know, when you really sit down and think about it, if somebody comes and asks you what you wrote something about 50 years ago or 10 years ago even, Mm -hmm. there's got to be a lot of confusion in your head when you've got a guy that's written hundreds upon hundreds of songs like he has. How are you going to remember everything? He would have done better to just answer by saying, no, actually, we're just really good friends. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Harkening back to A Hard Day's Mm -hmm. Night. (laughs) So this song was actually fully recorded at Abbey Road Studios in London. What are your thoughts on Jet, Tyler? Okay, so Jet's another real popular song. Uh, Everybody knows it. This song really lays out an excellent sound for the 70s and going into the 80s even. Incorporating that saxophone, that became a sound that was really popular for bands to use going on later in the 70s and into the 80s. But I, I agree with you, this song uses it perfectly, whereas other bands and other songs have, uh, you know, tried to... I mean, Kenny G's hung an entire career off of it, and I don't think you should do that. I don't really think it should be used, in my opinion, the kind of taste I have, which Mm -hmm. isn't everybody's liking, and I'm wrong, according to a lot of people, but it shouldn't be used as a lead instrument. It should be used to accentuate everything else. Exactly. It's a beautiful sound. It is. But it's got a purpose, and it's not every song. That being said, this song has tons of energy in it and i mean you can just feel it so much fun i don't care if it was a dog or a pony i mean how many pets do you think paul mccartney's had over the years tons of them i'm sure also you know we're gonna hear about one of his cars later but this song i have nothing really bad to say about this song and so i'm gonna but even so it didn't make my favorites list what are your thoughts on this song i've actually always liked jet But as the years have went by, I've actually liked it more and more. And kind of going into what the song was about, there's so many songs that these guys just pull a name out of the, might have been his pony or his his dog's name that he used. And that was to kick off the song. But then the song's written about something completely different. And Mm -hmm. there's so much of that going on. You know, it's not really important to me. You follow the lyrics more than I do, but I I like to hear a good sound. Mm -hmm. I, I can't even make out most of the lyrics in this other than do 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 do. Well, that's the thing is, you know, this song, once again, has got an amazing bass line to it. It's the one thing that stands mm-hmm. out big time on this. But he's kind of the master of hooks, you know, mm-hmm. into songs. He had them with all his yeah, yeahs and the yeah. Beatles and the different things like drive my car, beep, 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 mm-hmm. beep, yeah. You know, and this one's got jet. Mm-hmm. I've really grown to like Linda's harmonies with him, which I didn't really like at first. For me, McCartney 
solo albums because I've been so into the Beatles. It really liked his hits, but it took me a while to get into his solo albums. And for me, the more and more I listen to them, the more and more I like them. And I think they were kind of ahead of their time. It's got really good guitar in the middle sections. uh, And there's a lot of good sounds in this song with, like you said, the saxophone, the synthesizer, everything. This song's put together really well. Paul McCartney is a trendsetter. And this song is an excellent example of that. It's kind of funny because a lot of people say Paul was the cute Beatle and John was the intelligent Beatle, mm-hmm. but Paul was more in the avant-garde scene than John actually was. He was mm-hmm. the one pushing the envelope with a lot of things, and not many people see it that way. Even big Beatles fans see mm-hmm. John as kind of that avant-garde artist, especially when he met Yoko and the things going on like that. And That's because he got married naked. Well, could be, but... The thing is, is Paul was really in the scene, and he was a trendsetter when it came to music. He really mm-hmm. wanted to move things along. So that brings us to the third song on side one, Bluebird, written by Paul and Linda McCartney. You've got Howie Casey on this one once again playing saxophone. You've got an avant-garde Nigerian drummer named Remy Kabaka. He's playing some kind of percussion on this. Now, this song was written by Paul McCartney while he was on vacation in Jamaica. Paul McCartney says this is him comparing himself to a bluebird, kind of using it as a metaphor for the power of love to set a person free from mental and physical constraints. I don't know, possibly showing his contentment, his current situation with the Beatles breakup being fairly fresh, but his new love in Linda and the life he's starting to build. So possibly that's what it's about. It's it's a pretty happy song when it yeah. comes. And you kind of get contentment out of it, at least I do. What are your thoughts on Bluebird? Bluebird singing in the dead of night. No, that's a different song. Okay. That's okay. A, yeah, I listened to the wrong song. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this is, he's got so many songs about birds. And this one is so jazzy and laid back. You can tell that this was written on vacation in Jamaica. <laughs> he is, he's just, I'm, I'm sure there's uh, some marijuana helping him to relax. and he's, That'll turn you into a bluebird. Oh, yeah. He's feeling great. This Remy Kabaka has excellent percussion in this. I don't have any idea what all instruments he's got. Some drums and some sort of bell or something that he's playing. But boy, it's really good. And it fits this song nicely. That being said, this is a stark contrast. A very stark contrast to Jet with how laid back and subdued this song is. It's just smooth and jazzy. Whereas Jet is just so peppy and upbeat and fast-paced. This is this is just the opposite end of the spectrum. That's a, once again Paul McCartney being Paul McCartney playing around with uh, different things, uh, tones, sounds, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And he did a good job with it. I don't know that this this song just feels different than every other song on the album. What did you think about this one? I don't mind Bluebird too bad, but I do have some anger issues with it because. This song, to me, is kind of album filler, and it ruins side one for me. Because other than this song, side one's a 12 out of 10. Yeah, that's fair. I like this song. It's okay. I It's got a decent bass line in it again. I think it would have sounded better just simply as an acoustic song mm-hmm. straight through, kind of like Blackbird. Cushion in it is kind of strange, and maybe it's supposed to be like that. I did like the little sax part. It was used well again, but I really, if I could have transplanted this song with one song from side two, this side would have been perfect, mm-hmm. more than perfect. Yeah, for sure. So that moves us on to Mrs. Vanderbilt, written by Paul and Linda McCartney. Howie Casey once again on this one on saxophone. Now, this was only released as a single one place, and that was in Australia. It might have been in some other little places too, but it wasn't released in Canada, UK, or the US. The misspelling on the Vanderbilt name, because it's just Vanderbilt without the R, a lot of people think that was on purpose by McCartney to avoid a lawsuit or something, but it's it's basically a play on the Vanderbilt family, the U.S. dynasty, whose patriarch Cornelius Vanderbilt made a fortune in the 1800s through rail and shipping lines. And the opening lines are from comedian Charlie Chester's radio show. What are your thoughts on this one, Ty? So this one is back to the fast-paced tempo that we're used to on the first side. Uh, So yeah, once again, it's just a stark contrast with Bluebird, pointing out that Bluebird just doesn't fit in with the rest of these kids. 
but th- this song also has slower parts too. Even so, it's just um, it it's got this real hustle bustle feeling to about it, and you know, singing about Mrs. Vanderbilt being a, a very busy lady that's got to get stuff done. You know, doesn't need to worry. I guess is what uh, you know. This is a lady with a lot of care, but he's telling her, you know, don't worry. What what good does worrying do anyway? It's a good little song. I enjoyed it. It's fun. It didn't really make a lot of sense to me, but hey. It doesn't have to, and that's kind of the point of music. Can't look at it too logically. You have to feel it and go with it and, you know, just see what it does to you. And that's the the fun thing about this. Uh, What did you think about Mrs. Vanderbilt? What's funny about this song is I went to Paul McCartney's tour, the up-and-coming tour in 2010 down in Salt Lake when he came here. And it was his first time ever playing Utah. Mm -hmm. And I remember when he introduced this song, he introduced it as the first time he's ever played this live in Utah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, I, and I remember thinking, well, it's kind of strange. Aren't these all the first time you played him in Utah? But he's got that humor, you know. I really like the guitar intro on this song. I really like it. And then it kicks into a very strong bass. And once again, this has got famous Paul McCartney hooks on it. Ho, hey, ho. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just got that little hook that yeah. makes you recognize that song. It's got a good acoustic guitar throughout the whole song once again the sax is used very very well in this the harmonies are really nice in this and did i mention i love the bass line uh you have now yeah well i did once before too so great song the lyrics are very descriptive you know what's the use of worrying what's the use of anything and then he starts talking about mrs washington as well and i'm not sure where she came from but i think it's just a play on a lot of words and a lot of gibberish but in my opinion it's an excellent song one of my favorites i think the fact that howie casey is such a talented musician on that saxophone i think he might solely be responsible for the popularity of that instrument could be that's what i'm gonna hang my hat on so it moves us on to the last song on side one let me Roll It, written by Paul and Linda McCartney. Now, this was the B-side to the Jet single in the UK, and then obviously became the B-side to the Jet single in the US later on. And this one was also inspired by a line, Let Me Roll It, in George Harrison's song, I'd Have You Any Time, which was on All Things Must Pass. And I think it was just one of those lines he pulled out of it, and it became the beginning line to start the song. A lot of people say this sounds like a John Lennon song, but the funny thing about that is it is very similar to the guitar riff in John Lennon's Beef Jerky song, but that song was released after this, so I guess we'll have to say John Lennon's song is very similar to this one. And of course, Let Me Roll It has got to be about rolling a joint, right? Mm -hmm. An herbal cigarette, if you will. But it's also a love song at its heart, according to McCartney. You know, it's offering your heart to or revealing your affections for another person. You know, you get that part in there, my heart is like a wheel. What are your thoughts on Let Me Roll It? Let me roll it to you, my heart like a wheel. Beautiful little song. It's slow-paced like a good love song should be, but it's steady and heavy at the same time. Real, like, uh, real power into behind this song with the way he sings it. It does sound very reminiscent of John Lennon's work, but McCartney sings in a Lennon style. But McCartney has a more clean, refined tone to his voice that Lennon doesn't. And so I, I'm starting to pick out the difference between Paul McCartney and John Lennon. This is definitely a McCartney song. And it it just sounds clean and clear. Oh, what else can I say about Let Me Roll It? It's, uh, I need to get high so that I can uh, understand the song better, I think. Okay. Yeah. Because, I mean, really, when I listen to it, even though with the, the laid back and the slow pace of this song, making it feel like you're wanting to roll some doobies, I, I have no concept of what that actually means. <laughs> no, I get it. Yeah. Uh, What do you think about Let Me Roll It? I love this song. And I think you know I was going to say that because I told you it's a perfect side one with the exception of Bluebird, which a lot of people love, and I'm not trying to offend anyone because it's not a bad song. But this has an amazing organ intro that kicks into a heavy bass with slight percussion. And it has little organ runs right before each verse that I like. The vocal is amazing, but the thing I like the most on this is the guitar riff in between each verse and chorus it's it's got a lot of echo on the vocal which i like too it's kind of a unique experience on this one 
the bass line's really slow, but it's fantastic in this. Mm-hmm. And once again, that that guitar riff in this, it's one of the first guitar riffs I learned when I got an electric guitar, and I love playing it. The song, there's something like that slowness of it is so intentional. It's so restrained. It feels like somebody on a high-spirited horse. Well, I think you hit it on the head. It's yeah. slow, but it's heavy. It's restrained. It's right? got really heavy bass line, and then that guitar riff is just yeah. ripping. It rips through you. It's a heavy mm-hmm. guitar line, but it's a slow-paced song at the same time. It, it's yeah. put together really well. For sure. And this, when they decided to replace the B side of... Uh, Jet. Of Jet, yeah. When they decided to replace the B-side of Jet with this song, that was absolutely the correct uh, decision to make. And I might have to disagree with you on there, because I think this probably should have been released as a single all its own, but there might have been some problems with Let Me Roll It as an A-side getting radio play at the time, too. I mean, we don't think of it as anything different now, but... When you're insinuating something, whether that's just the title or whether it means it, because when you listen to the lyrics in here, there is nothing about rolling a joint other than the title of the song, right? I mean, everything yeah. else in it is basically a love song. Yeah. So that whole rolling a joint is really subtext under the radar to me. On the surface, it really just sounds like a love song of, hey, my love, if my heart is like a wheel, let me roll it over to you. It's kind of a double meaning title to freak people out and i think that's what a lot of them are anyways yeah the conservative uh people they they were not okay with that excellent song though so you want to get your side two yep flip it over side two okay so side two for me doesn't open quite as strong as side one it opens up with mamunia written by paul and linda mccartney now this was the song that was originally the B-side to Jet in the U.S. before it was replaced with Let Me Roll It. Yeah, because it was the wrong choice. I agree. Lyrics were written inspired by a house that McCartney stayed in in Nigeria and also a hotel they stayed in in Marrakesh. Mamunia actually means safe haven in Arabic. Rain is used in the lyrics as a metaphor for rebirth and renewal, according to McCartney. What are your thoughts on Mamunia? So this song also feels slower paced, but it's still steady. It's still laid back, like you would expect to feel when you're taking a break in a slow paced area. This just did not, uh, th- th- this didn't complement the song Jet nearly as well as Let Me Roll It does. That being said, this song has excellent bass work and percussion in it but i sense that we've got that same nigerian percussionist working on this one too uh what do you think about this song well the percussionist on this is actually paul mccartney himself oh he's better than the other guy (laughs) yeah i think it's got an okay acoustic intro the bass line is the strongest thing in this especially the way it's mixed for sure it's really slow but it's way up front and you can hear it it's a very very simple bass line in this that i think anybody could play but it's just mixed really well i like how thick it sounds the song's kind of repetitive i don't really care for the chorus much the mamunia mamunia it's kind of over and over i think this is kind of a poor way to open the side i've never really cared for this song i don't dislike it i don't skip it but it's it's certainly not my favorite song So it moves us on to the next song, No Words. Now, this one was written by Paul McCartney and Denny Lane, which it's the only writing credit Denny Lane has on this album. Denny Lane. Wrong song again. I keep telling you. I know. And Lane actually sings uh, part of the lead on this. And you've got Ian Horn and Trevor Jones, who are two Wings roadies. They actually sing the backing vocals on this one. So Paul was bringing all kinds of people in. Now, this one was a song that was written originally around the time of the release of Red Rose Speedway album, but they held off for some reason and didn't record it until Band on the Run. Now, this is the shortest song on the album, just barely two and a half minutes long. What are your thoughts on No Words? This album has a lot of this laid-back kind of songs on it, but this is definitely a Paul McCartney song. It sounds like uh, Paul McCartney uh, from the writing, the composition, the singing. It sounds like... Well, it's Paul- kind of funny because he's not even singing the lead in it. I know. But he's uh, he's in there. Yeah, he sings in it. And it just really sounds like a McCartney song. I, I don't know a better way to say it. It's funny you say that because when you really listen to McCartney, especially his solo stuff, there really isn't a definitive McCartney sound. He is so <laughs> experimental from day one of the Beatles being broke up until nowadays he's got so many different sounds and songs and he's not afraid to experiment. I think I might have just insulted him then. However, he sounds like Paul McCartney. 
Well, hopefully it is. Yeah. So what are your thoughts about this one? Uh, it's not my favorite. It's okay. The vocal is decent. I kind of think Denny Lane sounds like George Harrison to me. That's who I thought it was singing mm-hmm. first. <laughs> um, it's got good guitar work on it. It's it's a pretty decent song with pretty lyrics. To me, the guitar stands out the most, especially to end the song. I thought that was the high point is the guitar to end the song, but nothing special. Yeah, I'm seeing that this second side has a lot of album filler in it. It does. So the next song is Helen Wills. And one thing about this is this song was not on the UK album. It was released as a single in the UK, but they decided to put it on the US album because of the success. And of course, we're listening to an original US album, so it's on our album. Okay. Helen Wills, written by Paul and Linda McCartney. And it was released as a single with Country Dreamer as the B-side. Now, that was an outtake from the Red Rose Speedway album. Now, this single reached number 10 in the U.S., number 12 in the U.K., so not too bad. And it's apparently a song named after Paul McCartney's Land Rover, called it Hell on Wheels, which I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Paul McCartney still owns. What are your thoughts on Hell on Wheels? So, the song about Paul McCartney's car. <laughs> this one, uh, this is a good song. It's a, a nice, heavy song. It has a real classic rock and roll sound to it. This is, uh, when you take a uh, sit back and just listen to it, it really sounds like something that could be out of like that classic uh, 50s, 60s rock era. Got that real heavy electric guitar, the bass uh, holding it steady, and then uh, you know playing a real nice jazzy line there, and then the percussion real strong and heavy in there too. This is, there's a reason why this song gets a lot of radio play because it's it's a work of art, and I really enjoyed listening to a song that was inspired by Paul McCartney's car. What do you think about Helen Wheels? I like Helen Wills. It's got a good intro with the guitar, and it kind of goes into a little mini drum solo, which I like. Another good bass line on this one. It's got decent little guitar licks during and after the choruses, and it's got decent little guitar licks during the verses. It's just, and even to close out the song, the guitar licks are kind of cool. So it's a really well-put-together song, a good rocker. You do hear it on the radio here and there, but it's not overplayed by any means. And no. I've always liked Helen Wills. I This would have been a good song. It wouldn't be my number one song off of side two to replace Bluebird, but it would have been a good option as well. So that moves us to the next song, Picasso's Last Words, Drink to Me, written by Paul and Linda McCartney. Now you've got Ginger Baker from Cream, who was the drummer for Cream. He plays percussion on this, or you want to call it percussion. It's a little tin full of rocks or gravel that he's just rattling around. Yeah, so That's what it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, and in this song, you do hear it harken back to Jet and Mrs. Vanderbilt during mm-hmm. the song. And Paul wrote this song while he was with Dustin Hoffman and Steve McQueen. And Dustin Hoffman didn't believe Paul McCartney could write a song about just anything. So they had a magazine that, that talked about the death of Pablo Picasso, and it said, drink to me, drink to my health. And Paul took that title and wrote a song, and here it is. This is the longest song on the album, just under six minutes. What are your thoughts on Picasso's last words? Paul and Dustin Hoffman and Steve McQueen were all definitely drinking when the song was conceptualized because this is a slow drinking song that being said dustin hoffman he probably hasn't heard baby shark or it's raining tacos if he thinks that you can't write a song about absolutely anything i love the premise of it (laughs) of a song that's written to prove a point but i'm not in love with the song not a big fan of uh, the way it came out in the end because I'm, I'm not a huge drinker. There was that stark change in the middle where it references Jet, and that was fun. And then there's a gradual transition back to the drinking song, where it, uh, you know that that reference to Jet picked up the tempo a bit, and you know it was a little bit more fast paced, but then it slowed back down. And then I thought, well, this song shifts gears so much on us, it should be called Helen Wheels. I'm I'm just not not big fan of this song because it was written on a dare. And then it was put on an album. But hey, Paul McCartney proved Dustin Hoffman wrong. So there's that. Uh, And uh, sold a million records. It's got gold status. So platinum. Platinum. Yeah. It's got six million of these albums. Okay. Yeah. I am. uh, I'm willing to go before Sir Paul McCartney and grovel and say I was wrong. And I am wrong because he's a billionaire and I am not. What did you think about Picasso's last words, drink to me? Well, I don't think you were wrong. 
And I don't think you're this, coming with me to grovel before uh, Paul McCartney. Yeah, I'm coming with you, but I also don't think this is the reason they sold six million copies of this album. <laughs> no, we would say they sold six million copies of this album in spite of this song. Uh, this is about the only thing good about this is it's got a slow bass line in it that's decent, but it it's all over the place. To me, it's like some kind of song you sing around a fire or on a ship out at sea or something, and it, almost like a sea shanty. Yeah, or it's a drinking song. It's a Song. And then it kind of kicks into some like old dance tune in the middle, and it's got a weird breakdown in the middle, and it has that little place, it has that little piece where it harkens back to Jet, which that's kind of cool, you know. And then then it changes again. It has a lot of different sections, and it refers back to Mrs. Vanderbilt, where it does the ho, hey ho, <laughs> you know. And those are kind of cool, but we've already got those songs on this album. We didn't need this one. This is one I probably would throw away off this album without a doubt. You know, wouldn't hurt my feelings any. It's okay to listen to. I listen to it in the background all the time just so I don't have to get up and change the song. But I, if it actually, if I skipped it, it wouldn't hurt my feelings. So that moves us on to the last song on the album, 1985, written by Paul and Linda McCartney. Now this is describing, this is Paul McCartney describing receiving freedom through love and that no one else other than his love is ever going to get his attention. Oh, you know, he's sweet. actually singing about the future. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody's ever going to get my attention, just you. This song was actually never performed live by Wings, but Paul actually started playing this song live in 2010 during that up-and-coming tour I was talking about that I went to, (laughs) which is pretty cool, because I remember hearing this song. I didn't realize it was one of the first times he had played it. And the song does end with a a reprise of some sorts, I guess, of Band on the Run. What are your thoughts on 1985? Excellent piano and keyboard work, and I'm going to assume that all of that is Paul McCartney. But that being said, Paul doesn't sound like Paul at all. I think that that was very clever to write a song about a moment 12 years in the future, as if you're looking back on it. Even more clever to sit on it until 2010 and sing about it the way you wrote it, uh, looking back on 1985. So this uh, this was a great um, conclusion to the album. Uh, it tied... Back to the to the opening song. I don't know. A, a good way to let you know that the album is done. It didn't make my favorites list, but it's a good one. And uh, what did you think about 1985? It's definitely one of my favorite songs. And mm-hmm. if not for the reprise with Band on the Run, I think this would have been the perfect song to replace Bluebird on side one. But the problem is, is it, it is a perfect ending to the album, too, with the reprise calling back to the title song and the opening song. And so... I think that's where it fits well, but it either this or Helen Wills swapped with Bluebird on side one would have, like I told you, made it a 12 out of 10 for side. I love the piano intro on this thing. Then it goes into drums and then the bass, and I think their maracas kick in, which I really like it. It's got good speed on it. And I'm a little, I like Paul's vocal a ton on this. And this is a very kind of strained vocal he does in this and he's done it in the Beatles and a lot of solo stuff and I really like when he goes there with these because it does give that different sound of Paul mm-hmm. and he's, he's got multiple distinct singing voices it's amazing yeah. how he can do that another beautiful bass line on this thing I really like the way the piano is used throughout because it's kind of a rocking song but the piano is used kind of like the saxophone is earlier. It's used to accentuate, not overpower anything. Yeah, it kind of softens it up a little. Yeah, and it breaks down quite a few times through this song and does the intro again where mm-hmm. it does that piano intro into the drums and then kicks into the full song. And I really like that. I like how it's just kind of cool to... He does a really good job of bringing things back and replaying them and to make the song recognizable. I think Paul McCartney has a good understanding of... The piano being a very useful love song instrument, how it adds this sincerity and a, a sincerity that you can't get uh, from other instruments when you're singing about a love song. But the way he uses it in a heavier song, it, it just fits really well. Yeah, it does. It, it's beautiful. Do you want to get winners and losers? I think so. Winners and losers. Okay, Tyler, so why don't you give me your two or three losers off Band on the Run? Oh, geez, this was a difficult one to do and to pick winners and losers. My two, I, I've only got two losers um, because, you know, the the rest of this album, I, I know that there was a lot of songs I didn't have some nice things to say, 
or a lot of nice things to say about them. But even so, there's only two real losers to me. My least favorite was Picasso's Last Words, Drink to Me. It just, it feels like a song written on a dare. And if I didn't, if I wasn't in on the joke and knew that this was a a song written on a dare, (laughs) then I'd be like, what in the hell? (laughs) This has no business being on this album. So there's that. So my other least favorite was Bluebird. This song just didn't fit with the rest of, of the album at all. It's just so slow and album filler at best for this song but i don't know i I could see this being on a slower album but with the rest of the songs on this album being much more fast-paced and peppy this one just stood out like a sore thumb what are your losers do you have any well you're probably gonna think bluebird is but i actually don't mind bluebird i just don't think it fit in on side one i Mm -hmm. think it would have been a good track on side two as far as my least favorite song i'm right there with you picasso's last words i don't like that song it it could be easily be left off Mm -hmm. and if i had two other least favorites they're both on side two as well and that would be mamunia and no words no words is a okay song maybe an easy way out for me because it's not a straight out Paul McCartney written song. It's not a straight out Paul McCartney lead vocal, everything like that. Costa's last words and Mamunia are the two that I could leave off this album and be okay with it. And they're both offside too. So what are your winners on this album? The winners are more interesting for me because there's a lot of heavy radio play songs on this that I could have picked, but I didn't. My one favorite is Mrs. Vanderbilt. You know that I like, if you've listened to this podcast, you know I like weird songs. And this one's probably the weirdest on the album. That's <laughs> just, and not that it's there's anything bad about it, but I thought it was a nice song, beautifully written. Just, you know, singing about Mrs. Vanderbilt and Mrs. Washington at the end. But it, the way it was written as well, I, I really thought it was a beautiful, like, you know, fast paced peppy. It, it keeps your heart pumping while you're listening to this song about so much that's going on but hey don't worry about it right my other favorite does get a lot of radio play helen wheels this song as i was listening to it was just a piece of rock and roll perfection your quintessential classic rock and roll song and that just made it perfect for me there's so many other good songs on this album i could pick a a lot of good winners i think uh anybody that listens to this album and listens to the radio, you're going to know what the winners are because they get a lot of radio play. What are your winners, Justin? You know, this one was tough for me because I love this album. Probably in the past, I would have said Band on the Run, but I just suffer a little too much from hearing that. I, I love the song. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong, I love it. But my favorite songs on this album are going to be 1985. I love the speed of that song, without a doubt. Jet. Mrs. Vanderbilt, those two probably tie for second place. And then my favorite song on this album, without a doubt, is Let Me Roll It. The bass line in that and the guitar licks on that are so powerful. Just everything about that song really, I mean, that's kind of what drew me to Paul McCartney's solo stuff in a lot of ways. And this album's taken me a long time because I've always known Band on the Run and Jet and even Hell on Wills, even 1985 and Let Me Roll It. I'd heard all those songs for a long time, but this album's really, really worn on me over the years. And I probably put it one notch below Ram because wow. I've really grown to love that album. It also depends on my mood in the day. And sure. this to me, this is a quintessential Paul McCartney album, a must-listen, and it's one of my favorites. As far as mood goes, if you know, regardless of your mood, you'll find a song that fits your mood on this album. Without a doubt. Do you want to get to the album rating? I think so. Album rating. Okay, if this is your first time listening, I'm going to explain briefly what our rating system is. We go on a scale of 0 to 10. If it is a real sucker of a loser, we give it a zero and we burn the album. Although we're, you know, you're the listener, we're here, you have no idea if we actually burn the album or not. Knowing the way that Justin is, he would probably burn me before he would burn any of his albums because 
He's a completist, and uh, I'm just me. He can he can find another friend, you know, co-host. <laughs> yeah, some of these releases are hard to find, you know. Yeah. On the other end of the spectrum, if we give it a 10, myself being so new to a lot of these songs, a lot of this music, if I give it a 10, I go out and buy the album. Once again, you have no idea, listener, if I'm going to actually do it or not, but I'm giving you my word, and if it's a mediocre album, we give it a 5, right? Smack dab in the middle. Anything less? is poor anything better it's good so and before you go and rate it because you succumb to peer pressure all the time mm-hmm. i don't want you saying hey this is what i give it but i'm gonna think about giving it this now what did you rate this album after okay. listening to it now i, I do make a rule now <laughs> that i write my album rating before we do the discussion okay so i have given this album a rating that i would still give it after the discussion Well, it's a first. Yeah. That rating is an eight. This album is a beautiful, beautiful album. That I I agree with you. This album is a 12 minus a couple of those songs, but those songs drag it down enough that I gave it an eight. That being said, Paul McCartney really set a trend here. If If you look at this album, being from 1973, well, I guess late 1973, but still mid-70s, you see so much of the later rock and roll that's going to come out afterwards. You can actually see bands come out that use these sounds and base their entire in their entire like uh, discography off of these sounds. Like, you know, the saxophone with the uh, heavy uh, strumming, the bass lines, the singing. You're going to get a lot of that. And so this is a, a strong album that, once again, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame the hell is wrong with you guys and by what standard do you go to get somebody in because Wings belongs in there. So I gave it an 8. Justin, what is your rating on this one? Well, you know, I would like to say, because it's one of my favorite albums, I give it a 10, but I don't think I can give an album a 10 where there's two or three songs that way I would hold off the album. Without a doubt, side one's a 10 for me, without a doubt. Yeah. If we took Bluebird, like I told you earlier, and replaced it with something else, it'd be... That's, that's amazing. Just that one song on side one. Yeah, it kind of ruins... I wouldn't say it ruins it. It just doesn't It, it mix just drags well. it down. It's yeah. almost... That song can be somewhere else. And it could have mm-hmm. been actually mixed down inside too. Sometimes it's good to have a palate cleanser of some mm-hmm. sort, but it, that one just didn't work for me. No. But side two's kind of poor, with the exception of 1985 mm-hmm. and Helen Wills. You put Helen Wills in 1985 along with side one minus Bluebird, and I'm giving that a 15 out of 10. But Mm -hmm. because of that, because of a couple songs I would leave off, I give this album a nine. Mm -hmm. And maybe on a different day, I would be like Tyler and succumb to pressure, (laughs) and maybe only go an eight or maybe even go a nine and a half, but I can't go a 10 leaving those off. But it's to me, it is one of my favorite albums. Probably inch ram a little bit over it, and I wouldn't have a couple years ago, but I do now just because it's not so much radio play on that album. But this is an amazing album. Yeah, this one, happy 50th anniversary to Paul McCartney and Wings for Band on the Run. This was a wonderful album to review tonight. Yeah, and once again, this is Classic Vinyl Podcast, and we really appreciate you taking your time to listen to us because we know there's a lot of podcasts out there, more specifically music podcasts. So taking your time to listen to us, it really means a lot to us. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, complaints, Send us an email to classicvinylpodcast at gmail.com. But until next time, Justin and Tyler, we'll see you later. Thank you so much for listening to Classic Vinyl Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcast or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Classic Vinyl Podcast for updates and also share us with your music-loving friends.